Our topic this afternoon is entitled Paradise Lost and Regained. In our catechism reading this afternoon, we were told that uh, you know, God created everything with his uh, word. And when he created things with his word, the result was uh, beautiful. And those of you who attended Finding Jesus in Genesis will, uh, will find out that in one chapter, the phrase, it is good, it is good, it is good, was mentioned seven times. And in the last verse, Genesis 1.31, the word good is repeated twice. So when God created everything in the beginning, it was really good. But if that was true, the big question was, how come there is so much misery? There is so much pain. There are so many dysfunctions uh, happening in the world today. So the question is, is there remedy? Can it be altered? Um, and then the third question is, what is the role, where is Christ in human uh, suffering? So we will try to answer those questions using Genesis chapter uh, 1. So let's begin with the explanations for our human tragedy. Why is there so much pain, so much dysfunction, so much hostility, so much you know, hurt in the world today? So let me share with you this conversation that has brought about those things. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Just imagine the conversation. The serpent and the woman were talking about God. No, they were talking about what God said. But God was not involved in the conversation. And that is what is happening nowadays in the world. Religion is talking about God. Various kinds of Christianity were talking about God. But is God part of the conversation? Or people are just talking about him. And then, in that beautiful garden, there was a serpent. Now again, many scholars, especially those who do not believe in God and miracles, said it cannot be true that the serpent was talking. So the Genesis chapter story is a fiction. It cannot be historical. How can the serpent talk? The Apostle Paul affirmed that the woman was talking with a serpent. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.3, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So even the Apostle Paul believed 
that there was literal serpent talking to uh, Eve. And then later on, in the last book of the Bible, the Apostle John revealed that behind the serpent was someone else. In Revelation 12.9, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So yes, there was a literal serpent, but behind the serpent, somebody is using the serpent so that man will be deceived. Now, in the temptation of Jesus, it was Satan himself who appeared before Jesus. In Matthew chapter uh, 4, in Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, we read he was being tempted by Satan himself. This alternative voice that we are hearing nowadays is very subtle because many people don't even believe in the existence of Satan. But if you will read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you will find his influence. In 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, you know, when David was at peace, there was no more war. He said to his commander, Joab, please count our soldiers. And then Joab said to David, why do you want to do that? So even the ungodly commander recognized that there was something wrong about what David wanted to do. Now, as far as David was concerned, maybe he wanted to know the strength of his military might. But we read from the story that Satan was involved. Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to have a census. And as a result of that, 70,000 Israelites died. This intrusion of Satan in human history, in human conversation, is also found in the New Testament. Remember that passage in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And what was the response of Peter? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. That was Matthew 16, the earlier part. And then after Jesus revealed himself who he was, he said, I will suffer, I will die, I will be raised up. And Peter responded. Look at the response of Peter. Can you, can you imagine that dialogue, Peter took him aside, hinila siya ni Peter, and began to, began to rebuke him. Nobody has rebuked Jesus except Peter. <laughs> Pinagalita niya si Jesus. And what did he say? God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me. Get behind me. Peter, 
Now, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's interest. Let me show you a parallel. If you are a young lady, a Christian, single, and somebody comes to you, a guy who is married and is proposing a relationship, what will young single ladies usually say? How will you court me? You are, you are married. And then the guy will say, but I'm already single. I have separated from my wife. You know, when we do not respond to people biblically, we enter into problems. Cannot we say to the person, get, get behind me, Satan? Oh, pastor, I will never do that. The person may slap me. The person may kill me. Because of our niceties, we enter into more problems. These voices that are not from God can be seen again in John chapter 13 when Jesus was having his last supper with his disciples. During that supper, look at what happened. The devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Maybe Judas has another agenda. He simply wanted the money. But Satan is exploiting that situation to use that situation to accomplish his own agenda. So why do we have all these miseries? Because instead of listening to God and what he is saying, we would rather listen to other voices. Unfortunately, some of those voices are demonic. Then the second problem why there was human tragedy is found in the next verses. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. God said in Genesis 2, you will surely die. But the enemy is saying, no, you will not die. For God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And look at what happened. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes, the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and then she gave to her husband who was with her. So during that conversation, Adam was there. And what was he doing? Nothing. And when he, he was offered the, the fruit, he partook. So Satan puts before us attractive but deceitful idols to take the place of God in our eyes, in our hearts. So that's a temptation. To replace God with someone or something else. And we get mesmerized. So instead of focusing and trusting God, we focus and trust our sense of judgment. Ladies who are Christians, who are about 35 years old or more, 
they are getting anxious that they will not be able to get married anymore. So whoever comes. No more standard. When they were 25, they have a list of standards. Now that they are 35, isa na lang ang standard, basta lalaki. <laughs> Minsan hindi pa lalaki. <laughs> Nagkamali pa. Satan, according to Paul, disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, what is being offered to us is oftentimes attractive because if it is not attractive, why will you fall into it? You know, when the temptation is put into, you know, practical and, uh, you know, relevant uh, approach, then we easily succumb. But they had been separated already for quite some time. So they are just waiting for the result of the annulment. Well, this money will not come to you again. It's rare that more than a million pesos, more than a billion pesos is being presented to you. It will not happen again. If you get this money, you can retire already. And we say, yeah, oh nga, no. So we succumb to the temptation. Now before we go to the third one, I want to ask some corollary questions. Why did Adam not interfere? Why was he silent? Larry Crabb wrote a, a book entitled The Silence of Adam. It, guys, if you were there, if you were the husband of Eve, why were you not talking? Well, I'm letting Eve take care of it. She can handle it. Okay? When Eve was not able to handle it, when Eve ate of that fruit and offered that to you, why did you not question it? By the way, in fairness to Eve, in fairness to Eve, who was the one given the command by God, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Adam. Eve was not there yet. Eve was not there yet. So Eve's knowledge was second, second hand. Now, if her knowledge is second hand and then this voice comes in, Eve had two options. One is to ask Adam about it and the other is to call God and ask him about it. But both she did not do. What about Adam? Siguro he was, he was waiting whether Eve will fall down or not. No? And hoping maybe he will be given another Eve. Whatever, whatever was happened in that moment, John explained the root cause why Adam was silent and why Eve succumbed to the temptation. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the apostle said, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also it's, it's lust. What is lust? I said before in one of my sermons, the word lust is the same word as desire. 
and desire can be neutral. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. The desire to eat, the desire to sleep, the desire to get married is not bad. What makes it last is when it is excessive. Example, you already slept 10 hours. But after you woke up, you said to your spouse, I'm so tired, I want to sleep again. Unless you are sick, that is an excessive sleeping. If you have already a wife or a husband, to enter into another relationship is excessive desire. So that, that is what was wrong. Did Adam and Eve need anything in the garden? Were they hungry? Were they thirsty? Was the garden ugly? Of course not. But their excessive desire, their lust, were catered to by the serpent and they fell. The third problem of our human misery or tragedy is now that we have fallen, instead of recognizing, owning the responsibility, we put the blame on others. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was scared because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? If you were Adam, what would your answer be? You have only two answers, yes or no. Kaya nga, Paul said, it's better to say yes when you mean yes or no when you say no. When you go around things, it becomes problematic. Look at the response of Adam. The man said, ano daw? The woman you gave to me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. So who is the primary culprit? God. I was here, you know, enjoying the garden. And then you gave this lady to me? And then this lady gave to me something. Of course, I ate. So the Lord God did not involve anymore in the discussion. He turned to the woman. What is this that you have done? And look at the woman. How did Genesis 3 open? Genesis 3, 1. The serpent that God created. So Eve said, the serpent. Ang ganda na sana ng buhay namin dito. Eh bakit ka gumawa pa ng ahas? Naahas tuloy kami. Why was God asking those questions? Did he not know? Well, when God is asking questions, he wanted a conversation. Isaiah 1.18 Come to me. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your sins are like crimson, they will become white like wool. So here God was giving Adam and Eve the opportunity to turn the tragedy around. 
but instead of them owning the responsibility, they are even questioning God for giving them the partner and the serpent. My dear brethren, we cannot always put the blame on others. Yes, they might have influenced us, but we are the one responsible for the decisions we make. Here is the dialogue in marriage counseling. But pastor, I did not really want that guy. It was my parents who wanted him. You know my response to that dialogue? But your parents did not marry him. It was you who married him. You could have said no. You are in your right age. Pastor, kaya ako na high blood, kaya ako na hospital. Kasi yung mga barkada ko, hinainan ako ng, ano eh, ng crispy pata at may kapalmok pang kasama. Oo nga. Oo nga. Eh hindi naman sila ang umuya eh. Ikaw eh. Yes, they are a factor, of course. But it was you who made that decision. It was you who acted on it. So why will you put the blame to others? James chapter 2 verse 13 reads, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Here is the bottom line. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own excessive desire. Then when excessive desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is acted on, acted upon, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You cannot keep on blaming others for your miseries. And then this problem gets repeated again and again by God's people. In Isaiah 30, the prophet said to Israel, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the shelter of the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. How many people today, Christians included, will make decisions, will make plans, will proceed to their plans without even seeking God, without even consulting godly people? And you know why they don't seek godly advice? They know already what will be advised to them. And they don't like it. Say they would rather trust their own senses, their own sense of judgment. So the result, disaster. Disaster number one, personal dysfunction. Hiding, being afraid. So this is the beginning of mental health problems. Number two, spiritual conflict. 
you know, creation, the animals, were under the lordship of Adam. He was the ruler during that time. But because of rebellion against God, it turned around. We are scared. We are Pati nga, ipis, takot tayo eh. Can you imagine? May makita lang lumalak. There has been a reversal. Relational breakdowns. Relationships that are supposed to be loving relationships have become relationship of control, manipulation, and resulting pains. Hardships at work. Thorns and thistles will come out. So work will now be called labor, toil. And then, ultimately, death and judgment. But pastor, I am not included in those things. I am born again. Well, here is the bad news. Romans 8.12 We know that the whole creation groans and suffers until now. We ourselves who are born again, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan while we are waiting eagerly for the adoption of as sons, while we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies, we are affected by the fall. Who is not affected by the traffic in Metro Manila? Who is not affected by environmental problems? Don't you get hospitalized? Don't Christians get, you know, serious illnesses? We do. We are affected. We don't want it. But when somebody sneezes in MRT or in your school, you are affected. Your children are affected. So the whole creation is groaning. And it started there in the garden. So is there redemption? Yes. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God gave a hint that there will be redemption coming. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmities between you, the serpent, and the woman, your seed and her seed. And then the wrong translation. She shall cross thy head and you will lie in wait for her heel. So when many of us are growing up in our former church, here is our idea of redemption. That it will be the woman who will be stepping on the head of the serpent. So in the church I'm attending, I was attending when I was a child in Santa Cruz Laguna, there is a huge statue of Mary and Mary is stepping on the head of a snake. But that was a wrong translation. Jerome is not Israeli. She went to Bethlehem to translate Hebrew into Latin in sometime in 384 BC, uh, AD. And he failed to translate the pronoun. So this is the proper interpretation and translation. I will put enmity between you, 
and the woman between your seed and her seed. He, the seed of the woman, shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Bruising on the head means a fatal blow. Bruising on the heel means there will be suffering, there will be hurt, but it will not be fatal. In what way will the coming seed of the woman bruise the head of the serpent? Now here is the beauty of uh, hermeneutics. <laughs> the beauty of interpreting the Bible in its context. How will Jesus defeat the serpent? Satan himself. Remember the temptation story? In the temptation story, Jesus was led to the wilderness and he was there 40 days, 40 nights, not eating, not drinking. Unlike our present fasting, meron tayong partial fasting, pero si Jesus talagang no food, no drink for 40 days. He was hungry. He was thirsty. And then came the tempter and said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stones to become bread. You have a license. There is an urgent need. You are dying of hunger. You can turn the stones into bread. Look at the response of Jesus. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What God says is more important than my present circumstance. What he has to say is more important than what everybody say. But that is not what is happening today. We listen to many voices and entertain them. Jesus heard the voice of the serpent, the voice of Satan, but he stuck himself with the word of God. Then the devil said to him again, if you are the son of God, Prove it. Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will guard your feet so that you don't hit the ground. Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, my dear brethren, God has the right to give us a test. He is superior, we are inferior. Your teacher in the university has the right to give you a test. But you cannot give a test to your teacher. Can you? But that is what many people are doing today to God. Lord, I will obey you if you will do this. Lord, I will trust you if you can prove to me. No, no, no. Jesus will never do that. Jesus will be willing to submit to the voice of God and trust that voice. And then, in Matthew 4, 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And what did he do? He, he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Wow! 
what was offered to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 is now being offered to Jesus in a much, you know, global way. All these things I will give you, the kingdoms of the world, if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Go, Satan. It's written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I would rather trust God and his will rather than what you are offering to me. In the garden, it was repeated again. There was a temptation for Jesus to back out. His disciples were even tempted. While he was praying, they were sleeping. But look at the prayer of Jesus. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. In critical times, Jesus will not only put attention to what God is saying, he will also put his trust in him, no matter what. While being reviled, he did not revile. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. My dear brethren, the reason why Satan and his demons are able to topple us down is we are scared to suffer. We are scared to sacrifice. But Jesus was willing to suffer only so that he can obey, he can put his trust in his Father. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears. Let us not be scared to cry. Let us not be scared to shed tears. We're human beings. But those cries and tears should not be licenses for us to compromise with the demonic. He was crying to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his obedience. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Many Christians today will obey as long as it is convenient. We will obey as long as the return will be good for us. But when there is suffering involved, when there is you know, sacrifices involved, we back off. We are being lured to the prosperity mindset. That if you are a Christian, you will prosper. Of course, that is true, but not only in the way it is being packaged. Our prosperity, our success is not only in this life, but for eternity. And many times, the pathway to success involves suffering and sacrifices. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Jesus trusted God and his will. But what about the death? What about the punishment? What about the curse? 
in Genesis 2, verse 16. It says, you will surely die. Pastor, will you not die? Galatians 3.13 said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? If you sin, you die. That's the curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. Your blame, your punishment, my curse, my punishment were laid on him. As it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. And here's the bonus. He did not only die for our sins, he also died in order that through him the blessing of Abraham might come to whom? To? To Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? We. Because the commitment of God is only on Abraham and his descendants. We are not blood descendants of Abraham. But because of Jesus, we are grafted into that lineage. We are blessed with Abraham. Jesus took the blame. We don't have to blame anybody anymore. Because somebody took that blame already. Somebody paid the price for that offense already. So even if you have an enemy who have done you wrong, we can already love that enemy because the punishment for what he did to you has been paid for by Christ already. Look at Hebrews 2.14. Through death, he rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, so that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We don't have to be scared to die anymore. Why? We will live again. Our body will die, but not our spirits. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren to make propitiation. Medyo mabigat yung word na yon. It only means to make satisfaction for the payment for the sins of the people. Since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So in this story, there are three redemptive invitations. In Genesis chapter 3, the first one is God is inviting mankind, you and me, to recognize our failures, and our weaknesses. What is this that you have done? We can now confess our sins to him because he is faithful and he is just. He paid the penalty already and he can forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is no more reason to be strange, to be away, to be separated from God because God himself came to us in the person of Christ. Look at David. When he was not confessing, when he was not recognizing his sin, he was affected. 
His body is wasting away, groaning all day long. Why? The hand of God was heavy upon him, and he was like sick. But in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave, you canceled, you erased the guilt of my sin. So when we do wrong, when we fail, the gospel is inviting us to come to the Lord and recognize that failure. Number two, yes, we will suffer. Yes, from dust we will return to dust. And that is chapter 3, verse 19. But here is the amazing thing. In chapter 3, verse 20, when Adam turned to Eve, he gave her a name. Buti na lang, hindi niya sinabi, ikaw ang mala sa buhay ko. No, 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 no. He called his wife's name, what? Chaba. Eva. Why? Because she was the mother of all the chai. The word chava means life. The word chai means living. So when there is a party among Israelis, when they are toasting, iba tayo mabuhay. Sila lachai. The word chai means to life. So that is a declaration of faith on the part of Adam. Yes, he knew Eve and he will die, but he called his wife's name life because she will be the mother of the living. You know, that is what I call faith. Assurance of things you hope for, conviction of things not seen. The third invitation in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord is not only inviting us to recognize our sins and our shortcomings. He is not only inviting us to rely on Him. The Lord is inviting us to receive His covering. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they made covering. The leaves. And put those leaves upon themselves. But they, those leaves were inadequate to cover the shame and fear. Look at what God did. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife. And what did he do? He clothed them. Later on, you will see, they were expelled from the garden. And people were saying, Pinalayas din eh. Take note, before they were expelled out of the garden, God clothed them with a more permanent covering and He embraced them. He embraced them. And how did God make the garment? When He clothed them with garment of skin, an animal life was killed. So one writer said, Nancy Guthrie, God preached the first gospel not with words, but in symbol and action. How a sinful creature 
can become acceptable to a holy creator. And how is that? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So a blood was shed, the blood of an innocent dying in the place of the guilty. So in Genesis chapter 3, there is already a foreshadowing of what will happen one day when the innocent Jesus will die and shed his blood for you and for me. Surely our grips he bore, our sorrows he carried. He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening or punishment for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. And look at the positive picture. That was the negative. The positive picture presented by Isaiah. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. Why? He has clothed me. I am no longer naked. I am no longer ashamed. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. So God not only removed our curses, our offenses, He clothed us with His own righteousness so that we have more reasons to praise God nowadays. But pastor, as you said, in verse 23 and 24, the Lord God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden. He drove them out. And then he protected the tree of life with cherubim having flaming sword to guard the tree of life. So there is no more way for the people to come back to the tree of life. Yes, there is no more way for people to go back to Eden. But the people can go to a better Eden. Remember John chapter 14? Jesus said, do not be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled that I will be leaving because I am preparing a place for you. And where I am, you will be. Then Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the new paradise. No one can come to the Father. No one can come to the new heaven and the new earth, but through me. The writer of Hebrews highlighted this and said, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter, and how did he call it? The holy place. And how did we have the confidence? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated before us. What about eternal life? Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live. He will live. You don't need the tree. Somebody better than the tree of life has come. And if we eat of him, if we partake of him, if we believe in him, then we will have eternal life. 
Let me illustrate that. When Jesus was dying, two other men were dying, and one said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingly power. And what did Jesus say? Okay, after nine days, you will be with me. Did he say that? After 40 days, you will be with me. After a thousand years, you will be with me. No. Jesus said to that guy on the cross within, today, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in, in, in a place better than the Garden of Eden. You will be with me in paradise. Let me quote Nancy Guthrie. When Jesus welcomed the thief, one day he will welcome all those who come to him into paradise even more grand than Eden. He is even now preparing a paradise for his people to live in. It is called the new heaven and the new earth. The paradise of Eden was just a preview of the paradise to come. Jesus will be there. He will be in the center of that new paradise. And he will be there to welcome you and me. But pastor, the fact remains. There are still dysfunctions, depressions, pains, hardships, aging, dying that we experience today. Yes, we will not deny that. But because of Jesus coming, another world is coming. Revelation 21 verse 1 to 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people. God himself will be among them. He will wipe away. He himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No longer be any death. No longer be any mourning. No longer any crying. No longer any pain. No longer any disabilities. No longer be any handicap. The first things, the first world that was broken because of sin will have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things, not only new, I am making all things perfect. So yes, there are imperfections. We grieve because of those imperfections. But we grieve with hope that one day those imperfections will be replaced. Not by great things, but by glorious things. Recently, we have deaths in our community, but one day we will meet them again and see them not in their weak body forms, not in their, you know, sickly body forms, 
but in glorified forms. And that is because Jesus has come. And he will come again to make all things new. Let us pray. Our God, today we remember hurting people. We remember 21 families of Breadcom Mandaluyong who experienced going through fire, literal fire, two weeks ago. Lord, thank you for kind hearts, generous hearts who have helped them in the past week. But we also remember to pray for their neighbors who do not have a church that helped them. We pray, Lord, that through the testimonies of our members in those in those communities they will also have a foretaste of the glorious things that are to come through our churches who are ministering to them lord we pray for anybody here in breadcom qc who is going through tough times and while going through tough times he or she is hearing voices that are very discouraging that are even accusing. Oh Lord, help us to hear your voice because your voice are life-giving. Your words are renewing. They give comfort. They give direction. They give light. Lord, we pray for many Filipinos who are struggling, not only financially, but also relationally. Lord, we ask for hurting families. Lord, we pray that you will visit them. You will use us to visit them and share to them the good news that you can prepare a table before them, even in the presence of enemies, and reconcile them. Lord, we pray for our children who are exposed to school settings that are not only academically challenging, but there are bullies in the schools. <clears throat> there are bad influences in the schools. Lord, we pray that you will guide our students to call upon you, Lord Jesus, because when you were tempted, you did not give in to, them te to this temptation. Help our students, our children, to have the strength to say no when they need to say no and to do something when they can do something. Lord, protect the remaining marriages in our communities. We pray, Lord, that we will be living testimonies that despite our imperfections, we can still be together, living happily because of Jesus who can make those things possible. Lord, do not allow us to lose hope. Enable us to always look at your word and look at what will happen in the far end of history. And thank you for the promise 
that one day we will no longer pray to a God whom we do not see. One day we will have conversation to a God who is among us, to a God who will touch our pains and hurts, and who will make all things new. Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, help us to remember that there is redemption even in the worst situation because somebody has given his life, his body, his blood so that redemption will be made possible. And Lord, give us the boldness to proclaim this message even after today. When we go back to our schools, when we go back to our offices and tell people that the light has come, they don't have to live in darkness. This is our prayer with thanksgiving in Jesus' name.